0: Again, everybody, and welcome back to the Reload Podcast. My name's Lee Maxwell. Joining me today, I have Connor McCann, and on the phone, Daisy Lamont. We're still in lockdown. I don't know what week this is. All the days seem the same, they've all blurred together. It's week 749, Lee. Something like that, yeah.
1: (laughs) I don't even know how many weeks that adds up to in a year. That's (laughs) my brain's mush at the minute. (laughs) (laughs) That's how bad things are. But there is some sort of positives because. A big shout out to Mark Kern, who anyone who's following us on Instagram will know that we ran a competition to win some of our sponsors' goods
2: and third party horns here, Connor. <laughs> da,
1: da, da, da. <laughs> so
2: <laughs>
1: that was actually Lee's nose made that noise. Well done to Mark. I believe Nigel's sorting out the prizes and sent them your way.
2: All boxed up in the back of the car, posted it out tomorrow, so it should be with them
1: probably Wednesday. So Mark, he's won himself a poster, garage banner, t-shirts, stickers, air fresheners, all available on our sponsors' website. So if you check out reload.global, you can find everything there and even more than that. 8380 Labs designs t-shirts and some of their own as well. So if you want to support us, support the people who support us then.
0: So anything new with you this week, Connor?
1: Not a whole pile. Um,
0: I'm saying that as if we don't live together. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Let's pretend that we weren't working in the same workshop for the past three days. Yeah, so I'm back in the workshop, back at the Mark III, slow progress, um, working away and welding up holes in the engine bay and everything's super thin and I'm just panicking, trying not to make things warp. So kind of got the welder dialed in and it's just taken a long time.
0: Well, I have discovered officially that I have bitch office hands. Because I today I put in 24 screws, and I have a blister on my finger.
1: Yeah, I was disappointed.
0: Okay. I was like, <laughs> I thought what was is tougher? wrong with me?
1: <laughs> I thought you are made of harder stuff than that.
0: <laughs> so did I, but apparently not.
1: What about you, Lee? What have you been up to?
0: Well, screwing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you may need some lube for those blisters. <laughs>
0: Lot <laughs> <It does. laughs> yeah i have uh been working on a few diy projects but not much car related i'm afraid no purchases well, i have i have ordered a couple of bits well by now in the future you'll have seen my instagram live so i will have revealed hopefully the new uh, window blind that i bought for the back of the jetta
2: yeah oh very nice very nice
0: I honestly I haven't even taken out of the box yet, so you might find me swearing tomorrow night because it's the wrong colour or the brackets aren't right or something, but we shall see when I go live I could, tomorrow. <laughs>
2: I, could, I could just I could just see you in the box. Ah, for freak's <laughs> sake! Turn that turn that cover off.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Knowing my luck, probably. But you know what? The company that I bought it off were brilliant because I had been hunting and hunting. I don't know what put it into my head. I had decided that quite fancied like a louvered rear window. And then I sort of thought about it and looked at a few pictures and stuff. And apparently louvers for a Mark 1 Golf, never mind a Mark 1 Jetta, are like impossible to find. So then I thought, what about like an interior blind? Because those were quite nice. And I thought that might go with my more kind of old school theme. Mm -hmm. So I looked and looked and looked online and I came across loads of like scam websites and stuff. It was really strange.
1: It was weird.
0: It was so weird. You know these type of Chinese websites that are offering like everything from indoor furniture, garden furniture, tools, really obscure car parts. Obviously, like a Mark One Jetta window blind is obviously pretty obscure.
1: That's what kind of alerted us to it because I'm not computer minded in whatsoever, so I'm probably going to make a lot of people laugh here what I'm saying, but. I think it sort of latches on to what you Google search and drops it into like a generic website. So you come up, it says, oh, this is available for $23. And you're kind of looking going, well, why do they have that along with patio furniture? And why is it so cheap? And then when you, (laughs) yeah, it was weird. It was so strange.
0: uh, But I found this Dutch, I think they're actually Belgian or Dutch company, and they had the blinds in stock, but only in black. And I had wanted, you can get like a creamy ivory kind of color, which I thought would fit with my beige interior a bit better, but they didn't have it. But I had seen pictures of the beige one on other websites, but nowhere had stock. So I just emailed them and took a chance and said, look, because they're obviously a custom company, they make all their own stuff in-house. And I said, look, could I, in my, I mean, very broken little one or two conversational pieces of Dutch that I can speak.
1: Did you email them in Dutch?
0: No, I put the first line in Dutch All saying right. <laughs> I apologize that I don't speak Dutch very well in Dutch and then wrote the rest in English in the hope that they would understand me and luckily they did.
2: I, I have visions of you talking in a Austin Pars Dutch yeah. uh, like <laughs> like
1: like me on holidays
0: <laughs> smoking a pancake. <laughs> But no, they were they were super helpful in the email back and said, yes, we can spec the brackets and the blinds and whatever colours you need. Just let us know in your email. Yeah, they were really helpful and it was here within three or four days of me ordering it. So Works, I think is their name, but I can confirm that and, and put a link. But yeah, really nice guys to deal with, even if you don't speak but, Dutch. Well,
2: we're talking about their the new parts you're going to announce tomorrow night. We've started to do Instagram Live. Um, this is going out on Wednesday, so... By now, you'll have seen I broadcast on Saturday evening, Lee broadcast on Monday evening. Um, during lockdown, we're going to do a thing called Lockdown Logs, and I went around my garage and a couple of my cars last night, and Lee and Connor are going to go around their garages, and we're going to bring some of the listeners in um, around the UK, Ireland, America, Canada. So it's a thing we're going to do over the next few weeks. We can't do more than a, an episode every fortnight, so just a an easy, easier thing for us to do is to do um, Instagram live. So we're going to do that for a wee while, guys, aren't we?
1: should be good fun. I say you'll get a laugh at the fact that we are actually going live and there's no editing. There's no, we're going to say that again. It is quite raw. And <laughs> raw is probably the right word for it.
2: I use the words yes, yeah, and um, a lot. <laughs> I,
1: don't, I don't know about Lee but don't expect what's more from me Nigel's going to handle the uh, the local side of things Lee's going to do herself and I'm going to do a few of the American guys we have a few lined up at the minute but if anyone's listening to this drop us a message as well and we'll be doing this for a few weeks you can jump on show us what you have
2: and your cars as well yep of
1: course I was going to say <laughs> show you
0: mine if you show me yours
3: I
2: don't have much to show cars <laughs> or otherwise it's going down a very dodgy path I like this one.
1: Lee's back in the Prosecco So what about you, Nigel? What's new yourself?
2: Uh, Not a lot. I think my cars, again, I give up on fitting Porsche brakes to the G60. ain't going to happen, so I'm going to just fully refurb the original G60 brakes.
1: Oh, it's not going to work then?
2: No, it's not going to work. So
1: I really wish lockdown wasn't happening. I want to fit those to your
2: car. Yeah, well, a rough rough sort of guesstimate last week. I don't think it's going to happen with the wheels I'm trying to go. I'm hoping to put on. Yeah. Headed the garage a bit more, got things sorted out a bit more, um put the G sixty parts in order, trying to remember where things go. Yeah, I've been I've done a lot more exercise in the last while, cycling to work, got a new mountain bike, so I've been having a bit of fun net. But car wise, not an awful lot. Um oh, hold on a minute. Attacks <laughs> the crado. So I've been driving the crado in the last week.
1: Oh very good, back and forth to work.
2: So, first of May, taxed the Crado. So I've been there to work and getting those
1: essential trips done in the crowd. Nice. Um, so, uh, yeah, good to have it out. I there wasn't anything to go to. No, but it's nice you can actually get it out and take it a run. I think that's the problem yeah. at the minute with Lee, with the no MOTs and things like that. It's just the jet has got it sitting there and can't turn a wheel legally anyway.
0: Have we done a podcast since I was out in the car?
1: I don't think so. No? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so...
0: So, on the last podcast, I mentioned that it had been almost six weeks since I had even set my ass in a car. So, last weekend, I went for my first trip in the car. It was almost seven weeks. I didn't drive, I hasten to add, because I'm still pretty sure that I've forgotten how. So, Connor drove, and I sat in the passenger seat, but it's literally the first time I've been in a car, and it was so strange. Do you ever get, like, you come back from holidays, and you kind of feel a bit funny about driving? This was like, honestly, I felt like I was on a roller coaster. I was like, oh my God, the seat's moving. I'm moving. Like, it's so strange. It (laughs) was so strange.
1: I'll also add that Lee hadn't seen, basically, the new setup in society where people are queuing the shops. There's signs in the windows about COVID-19. It was like, Lee had basically been frozen and woke up in this (laughs) post-apocalyptic world.
0: But I was thinking, I was like, if somebody who lived 100 years ago magically woke up now they would feel a, you know obviously a lot more but a, i think a bit like how i felt last week back then even if you had a car or a train or anything like 60 miles an hour would be a big deal and i was like
1: doing more than that
0: everything's going so fast <laughs> and like it, it was very weird
1: yeah so lee's lee ventured out into the the real world
0: yeah i don't recommend it folks <laughs> stay locked up <laughs> stay in the house <laughs> Uh,
1: And a more somber note then, to finish up what's new, one year ago today, according to our time hops, we were at Alpine Fair in Helen, which is depressing, (laughs) and the even more depressing part of that is this Wednesday, which should be today when this goes out, is the day we're supposed to fly back for it, so this has been a, I know there's a lot more problems in the world, but I, it's all been, all I've been thinking about all weekend Do
0: you know what it is? It's written on our calendar which is hanging in the kitchen and every time I walk past it and I see it written on the calendar, I'm just like you just, oh.
2: You, just, you see it and punch Connor in the face
1: <laughs> <laughs> Why did you write that <laughs> up in your stupid writing? <laughs> and then more locally as well, MLVW was supposed to be this weekend too, which we had marked up because I noticed that today, I was like, oh we should have been at that but obviously yeah. it can't happen so I don't know what those well, guys they, are re-
2: they announced a postponement, not a cancelment.
1: Yeah, same with Dubshed then. Just, I suppose yeah. it just depends what's going to be announced and what legally we all can do.
2: Okay, so last week we asked the question on Instagram um, about basically what YouTube or streaming content are you watching during lockdown? It was interesting to hear. There was usual suspects coming up. Um, there was uh, 1320 video, Hoonigan, Clades McFarland, uh, more locally, we had Juicebox, um, Driftworks, uh, Jimmy Oaks.
0: Connor, are you any?
1: I dropped a few in, but it was mostly kind of motorbike related. And
0: Project Binky.
1: Project Binky is a big one car related that I love. Um, I kind of jumped late onto the bandwagon of that about six months ago. So all the guys yeah. that have been waiting for five years for them to finish the build. I'm just like, I'll just watch 25 episodes in a day here. <laughs> <laughs> Shortcut to it, but now I've got addicted you, to it and I'm waiting on it. You,
2: you played the sneaky game. I did, uh, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of different channels that are watched by different car enthusiasts. But I've just, I've three here that I just quickly go over here. And we've dropped videos this week, or I just want to talk about them. So the first one, I've talked about this before, was Harry's Garage. I was chatting to you during the week about this, this video he just dropped this week. He owns Evo Magazine. Very interesting guy. And he has his own YouTube channel. It's, it's, it's great content. This week he dropped a video. It was basically the future of cars on the 2020 market moving forward. And he goes on to talk about the COVID crisis, sales of cars. And he goes into depth talking about electric cars and do they have a future and what way is it going to work. It was interesting the way he described the introduction of electric cars. Um, They've been forced on us basically because of EU directives. There's going to be no piston engines by 2050. And EU directives have forced the fleet average every manufacturer to have below 95 grams carbon Output basically. So, this has pushed the manufacturer to produce on mass electric cars because they are classified as having a 0% carbon output. The end goes on with facts and figures. It's, it's a bit detailed, but if you stick with it, it's quite interesting. He basically goes to describe that electric cars aren't 0% carbon output. When he adds up the facts and figures, they are exactly the same as a petrol car but the actual uh, production of an electric car is more damaged than the environment. You've been saying
1: this all, all along, Connor. I've been a big advocate for that. Of It's not exactly reducing your carbon footprint on the earth. It's just shifting it to somewhere else. And people see it. Well, in that case, people don't see it. It's shifted onto the production side of things where people don't tend to look very often and they see the end product and they can turn around and say, look what I'm driving, look what I'm doing for the environment.
2: He sees it as a... Cast twenty two for manufacturers that they've been forced into this position. The smaller petrol cars, the E one liters, the E Fiat's, small Volkswagens, were doing a great job um, of reducing pollution, but yeah. they've been forced in the corner. He he goes on to describe the hybrid of ha- ha- hybrid engine having more of a future, and um, the petrol stroke electric engine It's more practical for doing mileage and stuff like that. But he basically describes the battery, battery technology combined with infrastructure, isn't up to scratch at the minute. So the hybrid is going to be the interim. But the real future, basically, is going to be hydrogen.
1: The hydrogen thing's a strange one for me. I don't know if we talked about this before, but I always thought that hydrogen, well, I'm talking like when hydrogen was first kind of bandied about maybe 12, 13 years ago, that hydrogen was actually burnt, as in the way fuel is, the way petrol or diesel is, but it doesn't. It actually produces electric as you go. So the hydrogen's used to produce electric, which is used on demand as opposed to burning it as a fuel.
2: Yeah, it's uh, beyond, beyond my pay grade how it works. <laughs> yeah, I'll not be worrying <laughs> about that, it. I think a lot of the problems is the containment of the gas and the transferring it into the vehicle.
1: Yeah, old uh, hydrogen's fun. It likes to likes to party.
2: The video also goes on to talk about the lifespan of electric cars. Teslas have been known to do three and 400,000 miles of less serviceable parts, that itself will produce a problem to the manufacturer. They produce a car, an electric car, last 400,000 miles, that destroys their business model.
1: Even on the aftermarket parts side of things, not even performance, but as in maintenance, it's something that they're going to be looking at. Well, you still have your suspension, your brakes, that kind of thing, but.
0: Steering suspension, obviously the tire industry. That kind of thing will probably all continue much as it is.
1: And even on the performance side of things, miltech and the likes of that are going to take quite a hit.
0: Uh, Right
2: enough.
1: Uh, Their entire business model is performance exhausts.
2: Towards the end of the video then, he goes on about the pandemic and it starts to ask questions about the future of cars. More more and more people are working from home going forward. People think more about their carbon uh, consumption. And is the journey necessary? Will this push a downward spiral in car production? especially in inner city. Obviously, outside cities is going to be a different story altogether. It's, I think it's a 25-minute video, but it's sort of, it's a food for thought video if you've got 25 minutes to kill.
1: That's worth um, a watch.
2: If you're looking in the direction, what way the market might be going in the next 10, year, 10 to 20 years.
0: Yeah, definitely sounds interesting. I mean, my kind of vision is that When this is all over, I think a lot of people, a lot of companies, a lot of businesses and stuff will reevaluate, and you've already seen a lot more companies saying that actually we might look into this working from home, flexible working kind of model because it obviously does work. It is possible. The technology, the internet and everything is there now. If this had happened even only 10 years ago, you wouldn't have been able to, to go on the way that we have.
1: No, you couldn't network with people online the way people are using Zoom. Even what we are doing right now with Nigel wouldn't exist. No, or not at a, a readily available rate anyway. No,
2: we'd well, have done it by CB, <laughs>
1: <laughs> like the filters.
0: Brigger, Brigger, ten <laughs> four rubber duck. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but like the days before Netflix when you had to actually tune in for it and not just listen back whenever you want.
0: But I think in the short term, a lot of things will go back to the way they were. I mean, I certainly envision that I'll go back to traveling the way that I did. And as you said, the likes of an electric car or anything like that at the minute, it's not viable for me. It just isn't. And until the battery technology gets to the point where I can do several hundred miles and not worry and stay overnight in a hotel and do another couple of hundred miles the next day. It's just not even going to be an option for me.
2: That interesting, interestingly ties into my next YouTube feature that I was going to talk about, and it's basically the Top Gear Chris Harris YouTube channel. In the past three weeks, i just dropped some killer content. The one that dropped this week was actually Chris Harris's review of the new Porsche Taycan S. Oh, and yeah. And basically, their range now in this new model, it's 140,000 sports car, obviously, but this will filter down to lower models over the next few years, this sort of technology. This one, like the Tesla, will do repeat launches. The range is far better. I think it has 840 volts supply and it will fully charge in 20 minutes.
1: Is that fully charged? Doesn't like, you know, to the top, yeah. or is that a quick recharge? Yeah. 20 minutes. It's
2: 20 minutes recharge.
1: Yeah, that's, depend on your, your range and what you're doing, like that's, yeah, well, it's definitely better than what anybody else is doing before. 20 minutes isn't long in the grand scheme of things. If you pull over, plug it in, go and get a coffee, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah.
2: The videos that they've dropped in the last four weeks due to lockdown, obviously, and they're not being able to bring up the new series of Top Gear, it's basically highlight reads, and they've categorized it into different sections. Um, it's basically Chris Harris hooning about in a lot of different cars. There are 30 <laughs> to 40 minute videos, so grab a cup of tea, coffee, beer, wine, whatever those are boots. Um, I think they've, they've a course section... <laughs> he gets a GT 2 RS, Manti Racing, because Rags around a track, a 992, a 911 R, the 919 race car, and then have a BMW one with various M cars, a Ferrari one with La Ferraris F12 PDS, is a McLaren one with the Senas, the 720 stuff like that, is a supercar one. As far as car contents concerned, nothing makes me happier than watching Chris Harris commentating. On the driving of a sports car he, he's just got a gift out of he is a race car driver, he's fully qualified and he races actively himself I, I used to think Clarkson was good but Harris he's more technical, he, he, more, he describes how the car's handling a lot better um, I just I just think he's superb to watch.
1: Yeah, maybe I'm getting bored in my old days but I much prefer to see like someone review the technical side of things and talk about something properly than just kind of clown around
0: no. Yeah,
2: well, he he, don't, <laughs> he he does win the details of the you know the steering, the suspension, yeah. the tires, so that's pretty cool that way. But he does do the drifty wheelie know, oh, yeah. that sort of thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, that's good too. Yeah, but it, when it, I I haven't watched Top year in years in the old format, simply because it just got so scripted and so like it was just it so just, forced. And as they've like, just nah.
2: ca- they've just carried it through the Grand Tour and they're just going through the process now. I, I don't think I got into the second series of Crown Tour because it's just the...
1: Well, I'm going to be honest. I didn't watch any of it. I had review, everyone who everyone said to me, oh, if you love the old Top Gear, you'll love this. And I'm like, yeah, well, that sums it up for me, mate.
2: I think now they've got Flintoff, probably McGuinness and Harris together. They've got the a perfect trio of, of them working together. Now it's fantastic to watch the new series of Top Gear.
1: Yeah, I have actually yeah. meant to give that the, the new actual Top Gear a go, but I just haven't got around to it. Yeah.
2: It took them a season to warm up, but the last season that put out there was brilliant.
1: Doing this podcast, I know how that feels.
2: <laughs> <laughs> typical third album. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Final sort of YouTube mention I want to go on to is Juicebox. You've ever heard of Justbox? have you?
1: Yeah, local southern guys.
2: It's a group of guys that are into their 80s and 90s job cars, basically. Um, they're obsessed. Uh,
1: Could be it's, anywhere it's in
0: Ireland, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: it's it's twin cam heavy, But it's not the usual... How do you you describe this nicely?
0: Does she go around, sir? King of the Cone?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, There is an element of that, but not... What what you're saying
1: is they aren't inbred.
2: Well, no. Definitely not. (laughs) That's good. The the main features of it are Neil Sheehan. He he basically does all the film work and editing and stuff like that. And then there's another fellow, Ruben Dover, to share this massive warehouse. And it's basically video episodes of them working on their cars, stories of the past, going around to see other people's cars. In the last two years, it's been Neil Shane's rebuilding of his AE86 that he found in the heads basically. It was rotten. Um, it's just been a labor of love this past while, uh-huh. them rebuilding it. It's great. They're absolute headers. Like, it's so funny. But on the flip side of that, Neil is very, very knowledgeable about his Jap retro stuff. Yeah, um, They're very passionate about it. Um, some of the, the episodes are... They're going to Finland. They go ice drifting. They'll go to. They went to uh, Gatville, I
1: think, didn't they?
2: They've been to Gatville a couple of times drifting. They do a few Mondello track day vlogs. But they've actually done two Japanese um, vlogs. I actually re watched one of them this week. They go on trips to Japan. Um, they the crazy, crazy trips when they go over there. Really, really worth a watch. Check it out. They have a barbecue every year. It's a private invite barbecue. All these really cool Jap cars uh, from all over the country come to attend it. Sometimes Scottish and English guys come over just for the crack. Very good. But I love Box. They're dropping an episode every week now. He was very intermittent there, just he was that busy. Uh-huh. But he's with lockdown, he's he's caught up a lot with um, his content. I, th- I think he's nine months behind with his filming, but he's catching up with lockdown, basically. Like, I've chatted to him a few times online. He's a real nice guy. They actually came up to a couple of times, and they've done uh, website features on Dubshed. Oh, very good. Yeah, nice guy. So I know a lot. Maybe some are listening to into the Jap stuff, but even if you're not, it's really good content to watch.
1: I think we probably not really meaning to have kind of driven the wedge firmly into the the German scene, if not Volkswagen scene, with this podcast. But by all means, we're not tailored directly to that. I do like my Jap stuff, as is given away. We all like rat. Yeah, same. Lee's a big Jap head as well. You yeah. know. I can appreciate any content provided that it's good.
2: Definitely tune into it and um, subscribe to it. Good bunch of guys. Um you can tell they're so passionate about it. And I don't care fun. what car thing it is. If you're passionate about your cars, I watch what they're doing as long as it's interesting. Yeah.
0: Well funny, we're sitting here in our living room and I'm looking at a little remote control car. It's one of the oldest things that I own from when I was a kid, and it's a Toyota mr two remote control car.
1: Yeah, it's a, a Mark <laughs> One M R two. Don't worry, there's a Porsche beside it as well. Okay, so we'll move on then to your main feature today, and that's the interview with Sean Maynard. Just a quick bit about Sean, as you'll learn, he's an experiential marketing guy from Volkswagen of America, and some of the stuff that they're doing over there for the enthusiasts is actually, it's mind-blowing. We'll get into the details of that after the interview, but I hope you enjoy this. So today our guest is Sean Maynard. He's a specialist in experiential marketing at Volkswagen of America. Hi, Sean, how's it going with you?
3: It's going great, Connor. How about yourself?
1: Yes, we're we're putting the time in. We're getting there through these difficult times. I've seen there in your Wookiees in the Woods" video. You know, I have a quarantine beard. How did that come about?
3: Well, I, mean, I think that it, it comes about like anything. You just let it happen, and it and it just grows on you. It's a
1: um, a new one for yourself.
3: It is new, yeah. I've never gone this far. It's 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 it comes in patchy, so it's not something that would necessarily be called business professional. But uh, since we don't necessarily have to worry about uh, standing face to face with with anybody, no, it's 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 going and it's still annoying i still haven't gotten used to it but uh we'll see if it stays uh, beyond the course of this uh this situation
1: yeah i feel the struggle with the patchiness there <laughs> um so tell us exactly what it is you do in your job role
3: it's a it's a difficult thing for sure i i think that the the easiest way to describe it even though as you said my title is specialist is really the the chief enthusiast officer of the the company and um from the the event side of, of things there's two disciplines that I kind of play with which are the the enthusiast events as well as the motorsport uh, you know campaigns that we're we're going as of right now we're not campaigning anything but in the past I've been involved with uh, the rallycross uh, on the various different series that we've been in uh, some of the road racing with TCR that we've uh, helped facilitate in the, in the country and then things as early as Pikes Peak back in the early like 2007-2008 Jetta TDI Cup and a whole host of stuff on that side of things. But a lot of what seems to take up uh, the majority of my time is, is on the enthusiast side.
1: Yeah, that definitely sounds like the, the dream job for any enthusiast. Obviously, someone who places themselves in a job like this and brands themselves as chief enthusiast at Volkswagen is no fair-weather car fan. Looking back, where did it all start with you for cars?
3: It's an interesting thing to kind of try to figure out where it started. But for me, I can I can look back into a couple of things. Like my dad uh, was a, he had multiple Beetles growing up and he was always a fan of, of European small vehicles, had um, some other marks uh, that uh, were, were great little fun cars that he and my mom would really enjoy as they were kind of in their post-college um, situation. He was in the Navy and uh, they traveled Pretty extensively in the U.S. as well as uh, around Europe and, and places like that. And I remember us having a uh, Ford Escort station wagon, very or an estate, um, very very sexy car, you know, <laughs> and, uh, you know, fake wooden sides and things like that. And and we had gone up into Canada for a vacation, if I remember correctly. And I remember uh, being in this, this bed and breakfast with my, my family, and there was all these uh, French-speaking children that were around, and I was very proud of the fact that we had a car. And I gave a walk around on this Ford station wagon, I remember. And it was like probably 20 to 30 minutes, and these kids were looking at me like, who is this this crazy kid? <laughs> but I um, was just always kind of fascinated with uh, the mechanics of things. And I am definitely not a mechanic uh, by any stretch of the imagination. I was I was taught to do the basics. Um, but the first car that really um, did it for me, I mean, I was just really kind of interested because you could see a lot of it was was our 1985 uh, Volkswagen Van um GL, which was kind of more of a, I guess, a, a lower package in the United States. And we had collected it in... Connecticut, um, as my dad's tour of duty at that time, he was on submarines, uh, and we shipped it to the, uh, to Norway, which was our next post. And, um, so we had that going all over Europe and I just was always fascinated by the things that my dad had to do for this car. Um, you know, changing out Turn indicators and different colors of of side markers and things like that and and having to to make sure that this car, which obviously originated in in Europe, came to the United States with you know the the normal federal um, you know regulations, and then it had to be decontented again to to make uh, you know road standards in Norway. But just I remember sitting in the back and watching my dad shift through the years in this car and we're you know chugging along with this you know underpowered you know two liter you know up the, the german hills and things like that all over you know all over europe and it was just a really fascinating car for me and you know learn how to change a tire on it learn how to change oil i was very easy to do that and, and other things like that and so it was just that that interest and the interest from my father of you know working in his own cars and just kind of being in and around mechanic things that was really quite interesting
1: yeah it's funny how you Cars and other vehicles that our parents have can influence you. Um, Our other co-host, Nigel, his older brother, his dad had Fords when he was growing up. So he's a Ford guy. And then when Nigel was growing up, he had Volkswagens. And Nigel's very much a Volkswagen guy.
3: Oh, for sure. I think that is the interesting thing about... Uh, vehicles and kind of where the passions lie it's very familial it's very community based and that's what i really like to, to do when i'm talking to people is like, and ask is like how did you get involved into you you know car scene and you know how did you get involved into you know Volkswagens or you know the volkswagen group products in in particular and it's either oh my dad you know had one growing up or like all oh, my friends were driving you know mark three GTIs. And so they seemed like they were having the best fun. And I wanted to get in on that, that action as well. And, um, it seems to be, you know, that's how a lot of people are attracted, you know, to the, to the deal uh, for sure. So
1: when your time came then, what was your first car?
3: I had a very interesting first car Turned 16 and the keys were handed to me was a uh, 1996 Pontiac transport station wagon minivan
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's not what i expected
3: Uh, no not at all it's uh it was hysterical um so my my grandfather actually uh on my mom's side was a uh test engineer for chevy back in the day um back in the 50s and the 60s and uh he uh, worked on a lot of safety systems for vehicles like the corvette and things like that and was a constant tinkerer as a engineer yeah uh, and um, so when we had essentially uh, left the military service uh, in 94, um, and we moved back to to Michigan where my parents are from and where a lot of my mom's family was, and you could get very good discounts on GM product essentially. So we started a, a period of time where we had um, the transport, and unfortunately the, the Vanagon was sold right before – uh, I was, you know, handed or at least got my driver's license. My mom decided that it didn't have an airbag, and she was very concerned about uh, me driving a a, a big van uh-huh. um, that was again underpowered, rear wheel drive that didn't have a an airbag, and so uh, the uh, 3.8 V6 uh, transport was essentially what I was was given, which had 280 horsepower. It was actually pretty quick uh, for that time, and uh, we had a lot of fun in that van. As, as much as it was a kind of an eyesore to be associated with, it was. A, it looked like a big um, dustbuster vacuum cleaner. Yeah. But um, it uh, it was a great vehicle for everything that I needed to do in high school. But um, yeah, I was I was told that I, I could use the van for free uh, as long as I took my two sisters around to all their high school activities, and so that was kind of. Kind of the situation, but the first car that I actually, um, you know, signed my name on the on the dotted line for uh, was actually a 2001 Toyota Celica in college, and I really wanted a um, a Jetta. Uh, Wolfsburg at that time. Yeah. And, you know, the 180 manual, all this stuff I had, I, I was drooling over it, but I just, I couldn't afford that car, um, as a, as a college student. And so, um, the car, the Celica, its name was affectionately Tom for Tom Celica. Yep. <laughs> and, um, it's, uh, it was for as small as the vehicle was, it was amazing, uh, how much space in it, but I, I did, made the determination that I needed to have a manual car for my, my first car. I, I, spent a a summer, uh, actually at Audi, uh, and had kind of honed my skills. I had not been the greatest manual driver. Uh, I learned on a a Honda Civic that I just couldn't get it. And it was my dad's car. And I think we all know that when you're, you're trying to learn in your, your parents' vehicle, they're, they're hyper, uh, concerned about, uh, the clutch and and what you're doing to it and all the terrible things. So I can never really get the, um, you know just the gear mesh right on that car and so i learned how to drive on an A4 okay um like around a, i think it was like a 98 99 or something like B5. that and um well no it was an Audi A4 yeah. so yeah B yeah B5 and um it it just clicked and so once i kind of got in the mode of that and was driving B5S4s and, and uh C God, would have been C6 uh, A6s and things like that the 2.7T um, I just really enjoyed manual. so uh, Tom was definitely equipped with a manual, and pretty much every single car that I've owned since has been uh, a manual, which has been, been great. So
1: It's funny to hear that, because here, the majority of cars, especially up to around 10 years ago, were all manuals, and anyone I knew who'd done their test around the same age as me, it was always a manual, not an automatic, so when you hear guys over your side of the water learn about driving stick and having to learn later in life, it's it's always quite humorous, but I can see how nowadays, with more modern cars coming in and the auto box is coming in, and improving, that that's the way it's going to go.
3: Yeah, it's 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 really quite interesting. And yeah, when I took my uh, driver's test, um, it was on a beat up, awful Toyota Corolla, um, where the instructor, when we first got on the highway uh, to kind of merge, he's like, "You really need to put your foot through the floor to get it to shift down." and uh get up to speed to get on the highway and i remember gripping uh the back side of the steering wheel and pushing which what i thought was a, a good amount of effort on this this car and he's like you have to push harder i'm like you have to be kidding me um and it just it didn't feel right but i didn't drive i didn't drive manual like from 16 till essentially uh 20 I mean we were again GM product it was same thing it was uh Grand Ams it was uh Sunfire from Pontiac it was we had the Civic which was uh kind of the oddity and um I'm surprised that my, my dad got that because, again, of the discounts and things like that. Uh-huh. But I didn't – it didn't really make sense until I started driving a, a European vehicle. And it was interesting because there were certain cars that we had owned. They were like, oh, this is great and fantastic and, and wonderful. And then once you got back into the European cars, you're like, oh, that's not the the greatest you know quality and this, that, and the other thing. And um, from basically that point of the, the Celica, the intention was always to go back to – um, a german vehicle after that and um yeah the the manual thing here uh we we like to call it the millennial theft prevention device because there's so <laughs> few people that learn how to to do it because it's um again the, the installation rate is is very low yeah in this country if you look uh, audi no longer offers a manual i believe yeah that's and correct so we're one of the fewer um manufacturers that still offers it across, you know, at least a, a couple of the they call family as well as the Jetta and the and the Jetta GLI, which is which is pretty amazing.
1: Driver focused cars?
3: Oh for sure. Yeah. I mean that's that's where I I lay and um a lot of my friends are were wagon or estate again. Um and uh you know kind of more of the the smaller compacts just because they're they're fun they're sporty and you know in the in the land of the suv and as 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 big as they are um and it you know bigger has always been equated to safety and yeah and being able to you know see over other people and that sort of thing and i think it just gives a lot of folks the carp launch to just get distracted yeah and it's uh it's And smaller vehicle, you definitely have to pay a little bit more attention, Um, but uh, I don't think that's a bad thing.
1: No, no, certainly not. Having a Japanese car for your first car that you owned yourself in, I assume you've made up for it nowadays. What sort of cars are you driving yourself at the minute?
3: So I only have one car. Um, It's it's fairly expensive to have multiple vehicles in this area, Um, so I would I would love to have uh, a whole garage full of things, but it uh, just doesn't make sense. And I like to travel and, and do a, a lot of stuff uh, above and beyond uh, the travel and stuff that I do for Volkswagen. Um, and so it just—it's uh, a singular car. But I actually own a 2019 Golf track Estate Manual as well. Very nice. So, and I wanted a wagon since essentially 2007 2008 and uh i missed a great opportunity to own uh some vehicles that we had we had built when i was in pr and ever since i've had this kind of buyer's remorse of not owning a wagon so i've now as of january um been driving one and it's been everything that i wanted so living the dream living the dream
1: excellent so getting down to the business side of things why is engagement with enthusiasts so important to Volkswagen?
3: I think it's extremely important for any manufacturer. But for us, uh, we've really kind of honed the opinion over the course of many years where a lot of people didn't understand or know how to kind of interact uh, with the group. Um, there's always been, I would say, a, a decent amount of enthusiasts within the, the company, whether they're strictly Volkswagen or you know more general automotive enthusiasts. That you just realize that it's it's in, you know, parking lots where you're doing cars and coffee, where small meets are happening, where big shows and that sort of thing is where you can really change the perception of your, your company. And I think that where I look at it, you know, I, I remember like when I was an intern actually in the same department, which is pretty funny. Uh, guys loading up Euro vans full of T-shirts just to go to Waterfest, which is mm-hmm. the the bigger show in, in New Jersey, uh, just to, to hand them out to the enthusiasts, just to get them excited uh, about you know what Volkswagen was was bringing to the table at that time. And it it didn't make sense to me back then because I didn't really have a, a full kind of picture of, of what was going on with it. And um, I think we can we we can definitely see um, that you know an enthusiast is essentially an influencer and it's the influencer of a of the the better variety it's not uh you know the 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 person that's uh you know holding a selfie stick in front of a hotel um but it's uh you know the person that really um people t- turn to for opinions in 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 vehicles and what they should get and, and that sort of thing and we still know that word of mouth is the highest driver of sales or service or consideration whatever you want to call it and so uh, knowing that this uh, influential group is um, kind of you know, lending their, their knowledge and their passion to their friends, family, and, and whomever else um, you know, at a much higher rate than anybody else, it just makes sense to you know, speak to this, this group of individuals um, in the most authentic way that you can possibly can, which is being at an auto show, being at a, an enthusiast event. Um, and really giving a, um, an opportunity for somebody to, to, uh, come up and, and interact with the, the company and having that, that, um, that company listen is, is kind of really what a lot of people want these days. But, um, yeah, it's, it's important to acknowledge and, uh, celebrate, uh, not only your history, but also the people that are, you know, tirelessly in the garages building amazing vehicles or, you know, speaking, um, passionately about your brand. Um, and I think that we have been given the unique opportunity to be able to show up and, you know, be recognized for that.
1: It's something I've noticed even last year was the first year we went to any American Volkswagen shows. But I've been reading PVW for 10 to 15 years now, and even the involvement you see from Volkswagen and HTO and other big shows like that, I think it was, you actually might have been involved in this, but it was either Soho or HTO, you guys had set up a booth that you could drive your car into and was like a professional photographer there that looked like it was in a showroom, whatever, right, saying
3: that? Yeah, that's correct. That started, that was 2012 and 2013, so I'd actually just started in that position... In 2013, and yeah, we would we would erect uh, a pretty sizable tent that had um, essentially uh, a massive white roll of paper that would uh, keep surfaces clean as yeah. you're, you know, in an outdoor situation and that sort of thing. But uh, people would be scheduled. We would give them a call. They would bring their their, their car in and um, a professional photographer as well as two editors uh, for Photoshop, and they would essentially have a professional studio shoot they would do one angle maybe potentially two angles with uh, each individual and then you would get um, a very nice print of the vehicle after the fact but I mean what an unbelievable opportunity you know for anybody to to do that and I think that um, you know still in that time uh, it was still difficult for a lot of consumers and we'll call prosumers now to, to take decent shots of their car. And I think that as cell phone technology and as the technology and, and um, some of the bigger devices and things like that, has evolved, um, the, the need for that has been, then lessened, but it's, um, that was unbelievable. People still come up and, and, and talk about that. It's, you know, wow, I, I, got my, it was, that was one of the, you know, 100, 150 people that were able to do that over the, the course of the weekend. And I still have that, that picture on my, my desk. It's on my, it's framed on my wall, that sort of thing. And, um, it's, uh, you know, people, want those those special mementos from these these great shows and those great memories and you know a show like that which un- unfortunately at least in its um, previous location uh, moved on a couple of years ago and um you know if anything uh, enthusiasts are, are nostalgic for those um those shows that they've they've gone to previously and it's uh it's pretty amazing to say you know see um uh, we when I first joined it was it was close to when we were uh, at least Germany was launching the mark 7 golf and we wanted to do a um, kind of a celebration of the 40, 40 years of of golf um, around that time and um, up until that point we were designing posters that were more of a um a portrait justification so kind of like you know narrow and tall yeah. versus a landscape and um, this great image of a golf um, was sent over from, by Germany my golf is fantastic and we you know came up with a headline and I printed the posters larger than um, the previous ones had been uh, but I did it in a, um, a landscape orientation versus a portrait uh, uh, orientation and the outcry from everybody was huge. And I was like, I don't understand it. And they're like, well, every year I come and I get a poster and I frame it and I put it in my my garage and they're all portraits. And now I have this, this landscape one and everything is out of sorts now because it, it doesn't look like <laughs> the other ones. So, I was like, okay, fair enough. So after that, we, we – stuck to the the tried and true uh, orientation but have, have definitely evolved that uh, that program which has been pretty cool but yeah so it's it's the you know the cyclical um you know remembrance of that and it was a kind of a fun thing to um just i guess learn and, and explore about people
1: funny you mentioned the portrait posters there i'm just looking to my left here in the living room and we actually have your corrado one framed on the wall from Vagford, at york there
3: Oh, fantastic. Yeah, that was a really great series. And um, we've, we've done and tried to focus on different vehicles throughout um, each year uh, as anniversaries come up. And obviously last year was the 30th anniversary of the Corrado, at yeah. least in the United States. And so we we really wanted to celebrate um, that car and, and knowing that on the A side of things, it's, um, it's a vehicle that doesn't get as much love. But we know that that uh, – owner group is some of the more rabid fans that you have because yeah. it's it's it takes a lot of passion to own a Corrado I mean there's a lot of work that goes into it and if you've ever gone on to any of the the Corrado groups uh, on Facebook it's amazing the amount of detail and and hours that these these folk are, are putting into their cars and so to be able to do the uh, the poster as well as have a um a corral and I always try to do a crowdsourced. um corral of, of the different vehicles but we had some of the best participation of corral owners uh, within uh, those corrals uh, for those posters and things of like that and um, it's it's unique and it, to be able to um, take one concept and, and be able to morph it each show and, and have it be a little bit different and people within that group were, were working together to try to collect all the, the different posters from the, the series because we did, I want to say there was 10 to 12 of them Uh, last year and so they wanted the full accompaniment uh on their wall that's that's pretty cool and it's it's exciting to 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 see how people react to you know certain things like that
1: yeah it's definitely a real community feel with that part of your role then you mentioned these you involved in the motorsports side of things specifically with the rallycross team can you tell us a bit about that how you came to be involved with them and what exactly goes on behind the scenes with it
3: Sure. Yeah. It's, um, you know, unfortunately, as of right now, we are not participating in Rallycross as it's kind of at least globally in a situation where I think people are still doing it on the privateer side of things, obviously in, in Scandinavia. And, you know, actually Rallycross was fairly popular in the UK um, and the Lydden Hill obviously being a, a big track uh, for um, the WRX and, and things like that it was an interesting thing to be involved with. I had actually started, uh, previous to taking this position, I was actually at Subaru for, for three years, uh, in their PR uh, department. And part of my job was the motorsports communication. And so Subaru, um, with, uh, WRX SDI had, uh, a motorsports program in stage rally here, uh, in the United States, which is very small. Um, it was, uh, being sanctioned by a, uh, a group called rally America at the time. Uh And, um, Essentially, the only manufacturer-backed uh, program at the time was uh, Subaru. And then there was a little bit with Mitsubishi uh, th- with one driver, but um, they had three uh, WRX STIs that were racing in stage rally. So at the time, you had David Higgins uh, you know, from My Man, uh, Travis Pastrana, and uh, Dave Mira, uh, who had kind of translated over to that from the Rallycross. But they had... Um, been in the rallycross side of things since it was called supercar, uh, in at the X games. And so I want to say it started in about 2007. Uh, obviously, um, um, Connor McCoy, I'm trying to remember if that's his name correct or Uh not. Um, and I'll probably get corrected and I apologize for everybody. I'm having a little bit of a, a brain block on that, but amazing, amazing, um, rally driver from the UK and, uh, unfortunately uh, passed away a couple of years ago, but made the, there was a famous video of him doing this, this uh, supercar, which was basically a head to head challenge in a stadium in Los Angeles. And two cars would drop into the stadium and do this thing. And he went ripping over a jump and ended up rolling the car. I think it was like two or three times and it landed on its feet and it kicked it off and went again and ended up winning the the round still. It was the most unbelievable thing. So kind of fast forward to, to Volkswagen and, and, and Volkswagen hadn't had a motorsports program in a couple of years. So we were running uh, kind of a driver development uh, track series called Jetta TDI Cup, um, where there was up to 40 vehicles Um, That were – basically, the the series was for for young drivers that were looking to get into professional racing and the driver that would win the championship every year would get a professional driver's license through the SCCA. And so, it was run for about three years and then uh, the money was reallocated for a different program. and. Um, we looked into some other things, but um, the way that it kind of it works out, and I'll kind of dip back and forth, but each one of the manufacturers when underneath the, the Volkswagen group is um, tasked or at least um, uh, allowed to do different uh, disciplines so that you're not necessarily having the same manufacturer competing against another manufacturer within the group. So, yeah, that makes sense. And in certain instances, like you saw Audi and Volkswagen competing in WRX at the same time uh, with the A1 and, and then the Polo.
1: Uh-huh.
3: But you never really saw um, Volkswagen or Audi uh, competing at the same time in rally. And, and so, you know, Audi was more on the, uh, at least right now, Formula E, and they were doing a little bit more of the DTM touring and that sort of thing. So it, the disciplines were, um, at least for Volkswagen, you know, off-road and some more of the kind of the um, driver development track, Stuff and so, we had done Baja. We had done obviously Dakar, and we we're fairly successful with that. And uh, Pikes Peak was was more of a kind of a, an awareness thing for the Toreg and, and TDI at the time. And we were looking for that next thing um, to kind of get you know, some interesting awareness for our vehicle. And NASCAR had been something that had been talked about, but it's it's very expensive. At least at the time, it was a very expensive thing to get into. Um, and it, there was a lot of things that just made it difficult to really uh, actualize and so with Rallycross the WRX was already going on with Apollo and um, so there was already a baseline and so what we essentially um, you know Sold and and, and had approved uh, in 2013 was the concept that the Beetle, which at that time was in its um, second refresh for the you know the the current um, you know kind of the body style, and there was a a kind of an emphasis to try to get um, you know the demographic skewed a little bit more male and they had um, you know we would outfitted the car with the 2 liter engine it had a manual gearbox um it had some sport tuning and things of like that to really kind of attract uh, more of a, a male demographic and um it it helps definitely a, a little bit uh, but it was still pretty pretty much 50-50 or you know it skewed a little bit more female it's it's a lifestyle vehicle when you when you look at it but um it was a great platform for us to um to really kick off uh, uh you know when you look at this these sort of things it's you know kind of reliability durability you know kind of testament to the car because if you're familiar with rallycross, it's um a short track it's very high horsepower small engined uh, vehicles small vehicles that are um going out for you know five laps upwards of, of ten laps there's um you know I like to say it's it's a mixture of drag racing, demolition derby, uh, stage rally, uh, you know, road racing and, you know, a a whole host of other things. And um, it's very dynamic and it's at least in in its form here in the United States. It was always done in compact arenas, areas, that sort of thing where you could put it essentially anywhere. And it was a, a short duration so that, you know, the fan that, you know, is more socially minded, that, you know, is a little bit more distracted, could, uh, focus on the race and get excited about that. And then it would be over and they could go off to other things and then come back to the next heat, the next round of very high dynamic interest, uh, interesting action. Um, from the get go, we decided that the beetle made the the best shape. So at that time, uh, my former boss, um, Clark Campbell, who was kind of the uh, director of experiential and he was also the motorsport director, said, hey, you know, if you look on the track and even see what's going on in, in WRX, all the cars look relatively the same. And they're all hatchbacks, you know, whether it's the Focus, whatever, you know, you know a Citroen or, or, or whatever, it all looks the same on the track. And it's very difficult to differentiate the vehicles. He's like, you know, the Beetle is one of the most iconic uh, shapes for a vehicle in the world. It's very uh, instantly recognizable. Why don't we race the Beetle? And it was approved and it was... Amazing, amazing, uh, you know, kind of operation. We actually had the cars built by SEAT in Barcelona um, with cooperation with Volkswagen Motorsport in Hanover, Germany. And, um, you know, from the the get go, like initially we we raced a polo because we couldn't get the Beatles in time. We made the announcement at the Chicago Auto Show in February of 2014. And then we're racing uh, shortly thereafter. So we actually took some polos that were being campaigned. over in from a, actually it was a Finnish uh racing team and from the right out the gate we made the decision that we wanted to partner with um michael Andretti's uh, motorsport group they were looking to get into the um the arena as well and they were looking for a partner and um we liked them because they had um great technical prowess they were very well prepared and well thought out on, on how they did everything and you go to their their facility in indianapolis and it's it's amazing. It's you could. It's almost like a, a surgical operating bay. Everything is so well laid out, and they can do amazing things. And they have all their trophies and past Indy, you know, championship cars on the wall. And you just see the thought that they they take to how they load their trucks. I mean, they have several teams that go out on the road. Everything comes back, and how they 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 prep everything. And it just made sense. And by partnering with them right off the bat, we were instantly more prepared than a lot. Um, you know, going back to Subaru and um, what they were doing was essentially they translated what they were doing with their stage rally to rallycross and they had kind of the same sort of pit, um, you know, it, it kind of looked like that. Um, they had one tractor trailer and, and, and an RV and it was amazing to watch them extricate uh, an engine from an, an engine bay on, a, on an SDI. I mean, and, and they could do it very quickly and it was a lot of brute strength and that sort of thing. And the um, Andretti and then also Volkswagen Motorsport th- um, side just kind of brought a little bit more refinement to um, that and, and made it look more like a kind of an Indianapolis paddock, which I think – after that first season, everybody kind of saw, and and also the success that we were able to have right off of the gate, it um it brought the whole paddock up to it, that level of hey we need to really you know be a little bit more prepared and people were studying you know how our paddock was laid out. But we decided early on that we needed to have a driver um, that um, had you know been a fixture in in rallycross and and was uh, you know big for for fan engagement and um, was well known uh, across you know many disciplines. And then another driver that you know was relatively unknown but had really um amazing you know, driving skills and so that's how we essentially had um scott speed and tanner faust for for most of the you know the the duration that we were in rallycross, and you know Tanner had, had been the winningest driver in um, rallycross up to that point, and had won many uh, X Games uh, medals, and and the, kind of the the earlier parts of of rallycross uh, going underneath. Actually, Rally America was running it uh, at the time at New Jersey Motorsports Park when it first started here, and it was just really successful underneath the Ford program, and it was the motorsport director. Yos Capito from um Volkswagen Motorsport that um was actually at Ford and uh recruited uh, Tanner to come over to the Volkswagen side and kind of uh, lead that side of the uh the charge for us and then Scott Speed um was actually brought in via the the race director at the time or the the rallycross series that we were in and um he was like hey you want to give this a try you need been um, an F1 uh, driver, he'd been a NASCAR, he was a, a, a Carter, and just very tactical and, and very consistent driver that... Uh Anything that he got in, he was was basically you know in the lead. It was just really interesting to kind of watch him drive because you know, most of the rallycross drivers uh, slide around and it was a little bit more of the Gymkhana, a yeah. little bit more kind of flash and that sort of thing. And And Scott didn't know how to do that. He knew how to follow a racing line and he was doing everything he could not to slip and that sort of thing. And he was infinitely more fast than the rest of the, the, the field. So they had to change their driving uh, technique to basically keep up with him, which was pretty interesting. So – um for the you know the 6 years that we were in uh rallycross uh, we won uh 5 out of the 6 which was pretty impressive and, um the beetle uh for all but that first season um continued to just dominate we had a lot of issues a lot of development uh situations as we we changed engines we went from um the 1.6 liter to a 2 liter um and we had uh, you know, bolt shearing off on the transmission because of loads and things of like that. And we had lots of issues trying to, you know, keep the cars on the track, but you know, those two drivers were, were definitely a testament to, um, you know, helping through the development and, and also being successful on the podium.
1: Yeah, it's certainly in a, it's a difficult environment to run a car in. It's it's not like a racetrack. It's it's very, very harsh. And the cars see things that they'll never see in any other race environments. So having good drivers like that with mechanical sympathy but can push the car to their limits is definitely what you want. Also, on the motorsport side of things, did you ever get to see in person any of the IDR races when it was breaking its records?
3: Yes, actually. Fantastic. Um, I, I was able to see it at Pikes Peak and then also at uh, Nürburgring. The the Pikes Peak one was amazing because by the time that I had gotten there, they'd already done a lot of their, their pre-tests. And and, and obviously, um, you know, for a lot of the teams, they're there, you know, a month, two months in advance, you know, trying out different things. And for, um, you know, obviously a, a battery-powered vehicle, um, there's a lot of stuff that goes on. And it, uh, Pikes Peak itself and, you know, having not been back since 2008, it's, it's, it's kind of a grassroots – situation it's 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 definitely um kind of evolved but a lot of the the folks that are there are are you know there on their own dime. they're they're racing a, a motorcycle that they've tuned and they've they put all their kind of uh, prowess into but um it's uh it's 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 pretty grassroots and there's this really just kind of great um uh, shared passion for everything so when this team effort um, you know kind of factory effort came in I mean everybody was very curious and, and interested to kind of see how it how it would go because the last person that had had really done the the, the record was Reese Millen and and he uh, uh, in, in subsequent discussions with him um, you know it was it was it was quite the undertaking for his team to be able to um, to, to do that and so to have this this technology and, and that um, you know, from Volkswagen, it was it was impressive. But just the the factors that they had to think in, um, you know, how do you, how do you charge this vehicle? How do you um, handle the 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 temperature shifts and the um, you know the pressure changes and and all that stuff? It it was an amazing vehicle to see uh, in the flesh. And then when it went by, um, I was about a mile up the course from the start. And it sounded like a sonic boom when it went by. It was so <laughs> impressive. And I, I was taking a pan shot and I'll send you a video that I have of it. I put my phone on top of my camera and the thing goes by and, and I just swore because it was just – it was so fantastic to kind of see. And um, – he, uh, you know, easily, uh, Roman, uh, Roman uh, Dumas uh, was, the, was the driver, easily, uh-huh. um, you know, kind of broke the, the overall record, which wasn't the intention. Um, you know, the intention was to, you know, break the electric record and yeah. then come, come back and, and attempt it. But they, they shattered the, the overall record, which was amazing um, for that. And then with the Nürburgring, um, we were, um, you know, there was a bunch of us that were over at Verde, um last year. And, um, we were able to time it correctly. And I had been talking to, um, my guys on the volkswagen motorsport side of things and there was other people that we were talking to They're like yeah that the, the actual attempt is going to be happening on this day and we're like actually we're going to be in the area around that time uh, is there a way that we can come and see the the attempt and they're like oh yeah sure sure so we were actually at uh volkswagen zubahor um earlier in the day touring that that magnificent facility we basically where all the volkswagen accessories are developed and that sort of thing mm-hmm. and um you know, doing that, and we met with some of the Odinga folk, and um, we looked at the time. We're like, "Oh no, we're, we're going to be late for this thing." So we all hopped on the autobahn, and there was a lot of traffic, and we were able to get there um, right as the attempt started. And obviously, that situations a lot different than than pike's peak and initially they had a lot of issues with um kind of the aero and and a lot of the dampening on that track because it is quite bumpy and uh, they had done a lot of their initial work um on a different track and the car was handling so much differently on this track and they were concerned that you know they might not be able to to make it and again conditions were great you know ramon was in top form and uh, he nailed it around the track. And it was such an exciting thing. I mean, to, to see all these very serious, um, when it, you know, it's in, in, you're know in the moment, uh, folk that are you know, monitoring everything and, and making sure everything's going on. And then once you cross the, the finish line, the elation of the team after all those um, uh, you know, hard hours of, of development and, and things like that, was um, was quite an amazing thing to see and, and really a testament to the technology um, that Volkswagen is focusing on right now.
1: It's definitely history in the making there, both motorsport and outside of motorsport. Back into the show side of things, I first met you at Alpine Vagfair and Helen, through friends of ours, and then later at Vagfair in New York. Mm-hmm. At Vagfair in New York, you have had a fleet of cars with you Is the Enthusiast Fleet. Can you tell us a bit about that?
3: Yeah, the Enthusiast Fleet is uh, it's one of my, my passion points because it's essentially derived um, from my creative side and it's been a fun kind of evolution uh, over the past six years of of the fleet, and it's I think a, a great way and an, an easy way to kind of diffuse people into uh, having discussions about cars. Um, so when I first started, a lot of the vehicles that we were doing um, to no fault of their own were what I would call OEM plus. Where we were using a lot of our own accessories, which are fantastic uh, pieces. Don't get me wrong, but um, we don't have a, a wide catalog of you know wheels and, and different things like that you can put on on our cars. Yeah, um, and so we were seeing a, a lot of you know, people were just kind of uh, stepping over our vehicles, uh, you know. To, to say it, um, and really just come to the booth to get, you know, the free poster or whatever we were kind of handing out. Yeah. And so you would have these long serpentine lines going through the booth, the people standing in line and, you know, they would tap you on the shoulder and be like, what am I waiting in line for? I'm like, you don't know what you're waiting in line for. That's crazy. <laughs> um, but we realized we just needed to do something that was a little bit more attention grabbing. And so through just knowing and, and, and being around the show fields, I, I said, hey, you know, there's a lot of great uh, aftermarket um, providers that are here that, are, you know, would be interested in, in, in doing this. We should start building our our own um, kind of shocking fleet. And this was a thing that we had started to determine in other, you know, facets of experiential marketing. We had done ride-and-drives where we'd asked, um, you know, some of the, the folk in product planning, oh, what car should we be featuring, this sort of thing. And they're like, oh, this is the one that we're trying to get people to buy and this. And it, you'd be in a you know a bland color and that sort of thing and nobody would want to do it but if you put the you know the brightest color with all the options and like all the fun cars out there that might not necessarily be what the person would buy but they would at least get them to consider at least getting it to a car and 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 getting excited about the, the brand and so we did the same thing starting in 2016 we started out with uh, what I would call the Skittles fleet. So we had a Passat that was, was bagged um, with Accuair, uh kind of componentry and, and um, airlift uh, stuff as well. And it was really our first kind of partnership with uh, Vossen. So, and I wanted this car to be bright, so we did this like kind of um, – it's not turquoise, but like light blue satin shimmer, uh, full uh, wrap on this car. Um, we did a Heritage uh, Mark 7 Golf seven that uh, had gold uh, BBS RS wheels on it. um, And just really built this bright, fun group of vehicles because I I realized that, and it was all exterior. That's kind of what the idea is. Um, So you have these bright, shiny objects that um, attract people's attention. They want to take pictures of them because they're different. And it draws them in to kind of check out the vehicles, which we have um, great product specialist and and brand ambassadors around the cars that kind of talk to people because I think a lot of people are like, well, I I know what that car is. I I, I, I get it, but it is, but they're not really getting into it. And we would use the same sort of fleets at motorsports events. Sometimes they're at, um, auto shows, and they were just kind of attention grabbers. And I knew that I'd, I'd done something correctly when I saw two 14, 13-year-old boys run towards the Passat, um, which is obviously <laughs> um, not their, you know, what I would call their first choice, but they they got in, they were so excited. And and I went back to um, the product planners of, of the Passat, and I said, I just want to let you know that you know young kids are running towards the Passat right now with this car. And they're like, we don't understand this vehicle, but we understand what you're doing. And so... Um, and we've we've had uh, Volkswagen design from Germany, you know, call us and like, what are you doing with these cars? Like, what's going on? Because obviously, a lot of what um, you know, the group as a whole uh, was exposed to was what was going on over in Vörditzay with GTI Treffen. Yeah, where they would roll out these amazing vehicles. You know, the W twelve, the you know, the GTI um, uh, design concept, um, and some some crazy things like that. Um, which would be massive, and we'd all just you know lose our minds on these on these vehicles. But um, it was nothing that you know we had the money to be able to do. Nor did it make sense. And so, everything that these cars, at least from a um, a, a concept, we don't modify our uh, engines. That doesn't make sense to void our own warranty when it comes to that. Yeah. Um, and we we do aesthetic things that kind of um, you know just change the perception of that. So um, this past year. We had uh, a couple different vehicles. So um, kind of the the vehicle that kicked it off was the Atlas Base Camp Edition, which is actually very interesting because the car is now, or at least the package, has evolved into something that the consumer can buy. Oh, very um, good. Which is awesome. Um, and, you know, Atlas and, and what I like to say about Atlas. So it, it started off with... Uh, Tanner Foust, uh he built a, a SEMA uh, concept, and we had a, a big discussion because the the Atlas is uh, what I would call an off pavement vehicle. It's not an off road vehicle. Okay. It, it's not. It doesn't have the capability of what the Toreg used to with like the the center locking and rear locking diffs and you know the air suspension and all these things. It's a it's a vehicle that. Um, is very common uh, in the United States. You know, it's big, it's got lots of storage, you can put seven people into it, it's got decent fuel economy, and it, it looks rugged. And that's what a lot of people here want. And so it's like, well, can we make it look more rugged, but still, you know, play with the attributes of, of what it has, which is, again, more off payment, you're going to you might drive it down a fire road and, and you know, in tent and, and, uh, and camp in a, in a back area or that sort of thing, but you're not climbing over rocks and that sort of thing. It's not what the the, the vehicle has been intended for. So the Seam Atlas that he um, developed then became the Base Camp, which was unveiled at the New York Auto Show last year. And then ultimately that kit is now available on the the first facelift of the um, of the Atlas, which just came out. So kind of exciting to see that, that kind of evolution. And from there, we had an Arteon that we developed in concert with um, Vossen. There was the Golf R um, Spectrum, which was the individual um, series that came out. So there was 40 different colors that were offered on the Golf R here. Um, and you could order – it was a very, very limited quantity of those vehicles. Um, and so we did an Odinger body kit, um, which is, again, able you're able to purchase within uh, from Volkswagen at a Volkswagen dealer. Um, and working with H&R Springs on that, who's been a great partner for a lot of the stuff that we're doing. Um, we did a another vehicle with 1552, which was a GLI. Um, and uh, 1552 was coming out with their Super Street editions. So they actually put two different um, styles of wheels on each side of the car. Um, and then did some, uh, you know, lower valence and, and spoiler work on the car that was very simple. And they were like, we're just trying to get back to those really fun designs of kind of the eighties DTM and just having just fun with, with vehicles. Again, KW were on that, that car. Uh, we did an, uh, an adventure Torek. So again, same thing with TOREC. I mean, sorry, not TOREC. I apologize. The Tiguan, an adventure Tiguan um with Rotiform and H and R again. And, you know, lifting the the Tiguan up, you know, having a kind of a fun kayaking theme with that car. Um and then um I did actually the the Golf All estate, which is the one that I own now, is uh a car that we built and it was my second what I call parts bin um vehicle. So um golf you know has so many different uh, variants throughout the world um that you can Kind of make your own models essentially, and so this car, we took a bumper from a GTE, um, so it had more of the the LED look to the front of it, kind of similar to e-Golf or you know some of the other e vehicles. Um, we took a wheel from the Alltrack uh, Passat Estate, a short shifter from a GTD, and just you know put a light bar on it, and just really fun aesthetic things, and and that's kind of the the idea to these is that it's just something that that forces people to. Kind of look at um, the fleet in a different way. Uh, we did a Rabbit edition, which was um, a vehicle that we actually took to Voditse because the the premise of this, at least what we wanted to do with Votedze was take cars that no other region aside from North America got, and it was so we took an Atlas, we took uh, the Rabbit edition GTI, and then the GLI, and of course the Atlas. Everybody was just they didn't they couldn't understand it because it's such a large vehicle in Europe. Um, and it was lowered on on uh, KW suspension as well, and, and big Vossen wheels, and it's just very polarizing. And um, but the same thing with the GTI Rabbit Edition. We I wanted to do something, and I, I will build certain cars for my colleagues. And I have a colleague that really likes confetti, uh-huh. and she just really likes confetti. And so I was like, well, what if it looked like? Uh, a, a GTI ran through an angry kind of swarm of rabbit sprinkles, what it would look like. And so, and how it was like kind of get plastered all over the car. So we, we actually, um, had a, a wrap installer, um, cut out thousands of these, these, uh, these little rabbit decals, vinyl decals in, in, you know, six different colors and, and had them, you know, strategically placed all over the car. And then there was actually seven of the fasts, if you remember the fast, yeah. which was a, the little, um, uh, figurine. We had seven of those for each of the seven generations that put all over the car as well. It was kind of like Easter eggs within that. So fun things. And that was another one that we did with Rotiform and, and H&R. So just having fun with the cars. Um, another publication within the United States uh, actually featured that vehicle um, when we did the release of them and said that it was a factory paint color that Volkswagen actually needed to bring to market. So it's just having fun. But looking back at the heritage and, and different models and things like that, um, That. We try to do um, and and just have fun with it, so that it's 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 an a, an interesting uh, nod to the cars that might be in the show field, but then also some of the products that you know the the enthusiast community is 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 definitely selecting to put on their own models.
1: It certainly comes across that the fleet is built with passion and by enthusiasts, because sometimes there when. You have brands that try to jump on board with kind of a grassroots thing and it comes across a bit forced with well, this, certainly doesn't, and haven't seen them in person. It looks like they're in the show field and look like they could be built by anyone in the show field as such.
3: Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the idea is that I I want people to, you know, see that Volkswagen is listening to to what they're doing. Um, And, and it's, a, it's an acknowledgement of that. I mean, it, that's, we're there to celebrate the enthusiast. Uh, with everything that we do we want to educate you we want you to get into the cars we want you to have fun but at, at the same time it's 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 the recognition for sure because again as i said earlier it's those folks that um will drive the future consideration for vehicles yeah
1: well your Branton's it's certainly working because from lee and i left vag for york that time all we've talked about is the jetta gli and the atlas and we can't get either here so it's buried in our brains thanks to yourself
3: I will take full credit for that, and um, yeah. If you ever want to move here, I, I will. I will make sure that uh, we'll get you a good deal.
1: That's a dangerous, a dangerous offer. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask you: Is there any any of the fleet you would have kept? But obviously, you have fulfilled that dream with your current vehicle.
3: Yes, for sure. It's, um, it makes me happy. And it's, it, again, it's, it's the, um, kind of, again, the, the color itself, which we call Great Falls Green here. And I don't remember what it's called in, in Europe. And, and obviously every market's different, but, um, the first time I saw it, we were over in Wolfsburg, probably back in 2018, we were taking a factory tour and there was a bunch of Mark 7s that were in there in the color. And I got so excited because it reminded me, and I know this is sacrilege and I apologize for those um, because, again, this is a very passionate um, group of folks. But it just reminded me of the the Mark 2 uh, Montana Green. Yes. Um, just, you know, very unique Beautiful color. Um, it's kind of a modernized version of it, but those folk in the Mark II space are some of the most rabid, passionate uh, advocates of their cars. It's 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 nuts. And we actually own one of those in our in our historic fleet, and uh, we don't show it much because it needs a lot of love. But um, yeah, definitely a cool color.
1: It's still there. Okay, with the ID3 due to be released later this year, do you see one appearing in the enthusiast fleet, or will you pick it yourself?
3: So um, we're actually a unique. Um, situation where the ID3 will not be coming to this market, at least initially. Um, the direction that we're going with a lot of our um, ID platform vehicles is more of an SUV. So, ID4, um, which was going to be uh, kind of released and announced at the New York Auto Show um, actually earlier this month, um, but wasn't able to because of the, the current situation, um, was supposed to be our, our first model. It will be something that will go into the enthusiast fleet for sure. I think that, you know, we've seen examples like eGolf was. Something that I loved as a as a our kind of first foray into an electric vehicle because it looked like something that was very familiar. Whereas some of the other vehicles, and you know, there's definitely people that that you know enjoy that, you know, with kind of more of the space age, but um, the designs, uh, you know, specifically for golf and things that are so everlasting. So to be able to see, it's like, all right, this is a golf, you know, what a golf is, um, you know, it's been around since 1974. Um, very familiar. It's it's actually you know the most produced vehicle by Volkswagen now worldwide, and it's now evolved into an electric vehicle. And you can still put a rack on it with you know your your bike or whatever it is. You can do things to it. And we had enthusiasts actually lower them and you know put wheels and, and wraps and things like that. And it was a, a great kind of touch point to kind of talk to people about about electrification. It's like oh my gosh, I didn't. Realized that was the situation, um, and so with ID four, um, it's uh, it's definitely again I think going towards more of that. I mean, new design language that you're seeing with Volkswagen um, that's you know very strong but still kind of um, you know polarizing. And I I looked at it and I was like, man, we can do so much with this this, this vehicle, you know, for enthusiast. And I think it's going to be interesting to kind of see you know in the enthusiast market overall as these things come on online. Not only for us, but for other manufacturers, you know what is going to be be offered. It's you know in terms of performance upgrades and, and things like that, um, where um, it's not obviously you know tuning an engine or you know messing with you know airflow or, or things like that. It's it's going to be just you know straight battery management and, and performance of engines and things of uh, motors, excuse me, um, that are going to be an interesting spot to kind of see what is going to happen with that but definitely the the aesthetics which are um again what i like and, and what we we do um you're still going to be able to apply that to those vehicles
1: and do you think you go down the traditional route of modifying with these as in say coilovers or wheels or would you try something totally different being a new platform
3: i think that um we probably will still go traditional I, I, it's going to be interesting to see you know what sort of products are going to be offered for that that market um because again it's it's still the same thing like you can look at a tesla and and you know the folks that do do that stuff it's still you know a coilover uh, i don't know if i've seen a tesla on air i'm i'm assuming that it's it's been it's been done um but uh i don't see anything you know happening kind of different than that and for me, I mean, a static uh, drop on a on a coilover is is kind of where it's at. I mean, I, I appreciate and and like what it, uh, an airbag uh, can do for the appearance and, and 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 that sort of thing. But for just drivability at this point, it's just it's better to have a you know a, just a spring. Um, you know, set up on in, in, in a proper strut and that sort of thing. So I think that you'll see that. Um, obviously, some of the new, you know, technologies that are coming out there, you know, um, they're still kind of untainable for a lot of this. And and this is the thing that I, I want to make sure that uh, is, you know, representative as well, is that I'm not going out there and, and trying to select, um, you know, a wheel that... It, you know the whole package is is almost worth more than the vehicle it just doesn't make sense to try to do that and you look at um, some of the technology where there's you know 3d printing um, wheels and they're doing you know carbon wheels and things of like that and that technology is still too expensive for what I think the demographic is and so like we want to be very mindful of the things that we put on we're not just going to put something on that's you know flashy um, it might look great but it just doesn't make sense for the for the product that we're trying to uh, get awareness for.
1: Yeah, that, that makes sense. So you've sold this job totally to me and I thought you are <laughs> the best job in the world and you really do seem to have. So when you're not running around having the best job in the world, what do you do that keeps you grounded? What's your hobbies? My,
3: my hobbies are um, they're kind of in concert with a lot of it so photography is something that kind of evolved out of um, just being in and around vehicles and, and wanting to kind of record you know, initially for when I was in PR and were in motorsports and that sort of thing and it's it's become uh, a passion for sure and it's it's definitely driven a lot of my my personal travels and things like that um i was up in isle of uh, lewis in in kind of northern scotland uh actually shortly after worth uh, it say last year doing a lot of photography of landscape um i'm a big cyclist i ski in the winters if i don't get my skiing and um i don't feel like my year uh is, is set i, I needed to, to be on the mountain. I, I love cooking, and um, I'm a drummer, but I have not been in a band since last January, so it's uh, something that uh, I I look forward to trying to start up again, and um, i been thinking of taking my my set out um which luckily is electric for my neighbor's sake um (laughs) and setting it up in my small living room and then and trying to get back into the the seat as you will but um i'm pretty diverse base of things and i i don't say no to to anything because again like with uh, the job there's a lot of uh travel and there's a lot of personal sacrifice to being on the road um and it's in a lot of instances i i don't have to travel to all these shows, but I feel that it's important, even though we have some of the most professional and passionate, amazing uh, product specialists out there that have been with the company for, uh, in some instances, longer than I have, um, there's still, you know, the interest from people to talk to somebody from Volkswagen. And I find that to be extremely important, not only in the water-cooled, but air-cooled. And the air cool guys are, they're, Amazing! Like it's every person you talk to, it's a minimum twenty minutes, and then you move on to the next person. It's another twenty minutes because they're just so excited to talk to you about, you know, the engine rebuild that they've done on their you know nineteen sixty eight bus and, and this sort of thing. And it's just it's unbelievable that the passion that those folk have. But it's it's really giving an ear um, for people to to talk to you uh, from the company, and it really. Helps uh, in my um, kind of research for the development of what I'm trying to do in in, in the next years, and, and really trying to um, make it a better experience that Volkswagen can provide to this 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 group. So it's um it's a lot of travel, but it's something that I I bring on my myself um, because again I have a passion for not only the, the the company but also for the people that um you know I get to experience this with.
1: And just backing up what you're saying, there. When I actually met you in York, you were just leaving to head to Vermont for a Wolf's Cart show, which... That's correct. How many miles was that?
3: Um, I want to say it was something like 600 miles, in, something like that, 700 a, miles.
1: In a lowered Atlas on 22-inch wheels with rubber band tires, I would add. Yes. Yeah.
3: Very comfortable, though. Yep. I, I will I will say this. My dad um, was actually... He asked me. He, he owns a, a Tiguan, and he thinks that he, I think, at some point would want an Atlas. And he, uh, again doesn't modify his cars he doesn't he actually he had a, a, a jetta sport wagon estate prior to the tiguan and he actually put smaller wheels on it so they could have a higher profile tire for more comfort so he's not one to modify and, and that sort of thing but he rode around with me last summer in the car and was impressed again on just the technology of the um of the kw um, suspension that was on that car but yeah it was that was a drive for sure
1: yeah, and made a lot easier, as you say, by the right car with the right parts.
3: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's 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 great. But I, um, yeah, I left. I'm trying to remember what time I left. I think it was around noon, one o'clock.
1: Yeah, it was in around that time.
3: Yeah, and I got to Burlington around 12.30, one in the morning, I think. Ooh, um,
1: that's a long drive.
3: It was a long drive. But, yeah, I was up right in the morning with a strong cup of coffee and was over at the show field the next day um, to make sure that uh, I was there and... Um, uh, you know able to check out the show again which again is another fantastic show
1: um, yeah i think that's going to be on our list at some stage to do as well cuz i hear brilliant reports about it
3: yeah and you know uh, anthony and, and his team up there have really done a good job of making it a, a kind of more of a, an experience destination than in just being a show like on a, a, a day or two and like they they really almost provide a full week of activity uh, for folk that are coming, not only from the United States but Canada, it's, it's actually amazing the amount of Canadians that come down um, for the show. Because again, you have in Montreal that um, you know nearby there uh, you have Bureaucracy, which is a fantastic yeah. show as well, and and that crew is very passionate about it. Um, but th- th- it's another show that um, you know the importer um, from that country does not attend, and they've been trying to figure out ways to. Um, get them there. It's been something that um, they haven't figured out. And I know that they, they group up in, in Toronto and they're a fantastic group of, of individuals and have a very small budget to, to be working with. And so it's, it's difficult for them to try to support everything. But um, yeah, Burlington is a beautiful place. Um, and the the New England uh, kind of northeast um kind of car fleet is so interesting and that's the thing that's so uh, i'm gonna say so interesting again but as you travel around to different regions how the styles and and, and things are di- not dictated but they just kind of evolve from the different um, places because a lot of people aren't you know they'll travel you know i think upwards of about 200 miles or so to these shows you know some people are crazy like you used to see it um some of the shows in the south people come from mexico and, and things like that um but generally they'll stay kind of within the region and so like each region kind of has its own style which is interesting
1: yeah so you're traveling around and get to see you. everyone's different different take on things
3: yes exactly yeah.
1: so i think we'll wrap it up there sean thanks very much for being on the podcast i really appreciate it just so people can follow you where can we find you on social media
3: Well, first of all, you know, thanks, Connor. This is, this is actually my first podcast. So thank you for being, uh, gentle and, uh, (laughs) allowing me to talk probably way more than I I needed to. So I, I appreciate that. But, um, I do a lot of my, my work on Instagram. Uh, and it's my handle is. It's actually uh, something that I had. Uh, I started in college when I got my first instant messenger screen name. So that's kind of where it starts. It's a, uh, it's Mountain Dew overdose. I do not drink the product anymore. Um, I have no ill will store it, but um, I don't drink uh, uh, soda anymore. But it's M D E W O D is my my handle, and I think if you find that, you can probably find that on uh, Facebook as well. I think it's the same handle. And then on Twitter, which I don't do really anything aside from uh post the pictures that I post on Instagram, but it is at JDM, which um obviously makes a lot of the um that side of the enthusiast market kinda angry that there's a guy with a Euro <laughs> <laughs> a Euro fetish that is posting everything on JDM. You so stole it's, their it's perfectly... handle. I did. I, I had a uh sister's boyfriend who worked at Twitter at the time, and he was like, Oh, well, you know, uh initials are kind of the smaller your twitter, twitter handle is the more you can put on your tweets and so he was able to get me jdm uh, because that's what my my real initials are and, fantastic uh, and so yeah i've had it i think since 2008 something like that so
1: excellent well we'll wrap it up there thank you very much
3: thank you no this has been an absolute pleasure
1: yeah well one thing I'd like to say in the follow up to that is, and I, I said it at the end, and I've repeated myself to Lee all week or probably two weeks when we've done this. That I went into that interview thinking this guy is the coolest job in the world, and it turns out that he does.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: Because
2: without, without a doubt, it's one of the best jobs in the world, and he's such, he's such an interesting life too. Listen to what he's been up to over his life and the way the job has led him in his life.
1: Yeah, well, that's it. He did say that, you know, he doesn't say no to anything. And like even talking there about Vagfair in New York and then traveling hours, like jumping into the Atlas mm. and driving straight up to Vermont for another show the next day. You know, that was a sort of almost a 12 hour drive.
2: A true enthusiast. And you know how you can tell a true enthusiast? He drives manual. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> that was that was the whole kind of thing behind it was and. I said to him that it's awkward when companies get involved with things that are supposed to be grassroots, you know, and it can become very forced or seem very forced and fake, but that doesn't with this because it is ran by enthusiasts and it's people who are enthusiastic about the brand and about what they're actually doing.
2: It's it's fantastic to see the commitment that Volkswagen in America or so. Yeah.
1: yeah One of the weird things for me about it was when he said about the, when they were looking at getting involved in motorsports and they considered NASCAR, and I don't know if it's just because I'm not American, but NASCAR just doesn't sit with me for Volkswagen. It just seems a strange fit. And obviously it didn't work for those guys either. It's
0: a strange thought.
1: It is, yeah. Maybe it's a European thing, but for me, Volkswagen's always been, you know, rallying.
0: Well, yeah. yeah. Touring cars. Were Volkswagen ever in the touring cars? I
1: don't think so. Audi were. Uh, Audi. I'm trying
0: to put, you know, a picture like that kind of saloon car. I was thinking like a Passat would probably be all right as that kind of body shape. But well,
1: yeah, it would, it would work, but... No, for me, Volkswagen rallying, and this stuck well with it.
2: It was interesting to see the way the way you talk about how Volkswagen attacked motorsport and the way Audi attacked motorsport, you know, the different sectors as such.
1: Yeah, so the, the two teams ultimately working for what's essentially the same group aren't going to be competing yeah. against each other.
2: But then you see, you seen that, the WRC, you seen the development through cf and the Volkswagen, they're basically developing safe rally cars to push towards, you know, the Polo WRC or whatever, you know, the... That sort
1: of way, yeah. And he said that Seat actually built the Beetle for them for the rallycross as well. So Seat's yeah. motorsport team, along with Volkswagen Motorsport, seem to be well up there still.
2: Like he must just step back and just go, "Yeah, I was involved with Tanner Fust in rallycross America. I was involved in rally racing. Um, <laughs> I was there. I was there when the IDR car the run was done. Um, yeah, I managed the." That like, goes around America, different car shows, modifying cars. Yeah, pretty good. <laughs> designs them too. <laughs> yeah. I designs them too, yeah. like
1: holy On label. And then ended up with one of the cars for himself as well, the all track. Yeah. yeah. For any of our local listeners in the Golf R estate that we get, they didn't get that in the States. But in exchange for that, they got the the Golf All Track, which we didn't get. That's what Sean's car is based on, it's the All Track, and then obviously He talked about it was like a parts spin car where they built it out of like GT and GTD parts and made it his own essentially. Another one there just to finish off in case anyone was wondering he spoke about one of the 2019 enthusiast fleet cars was based on the Golf R Spectrum so a quick rundown on that was Volkswagen in America had offered the R in Spectrum colours which was 40 different colours were available and some of them were new colours and a lot of them were throwbacks to old colours so Ginster yellow, jazz blue, you know, things that we would know were offered on the newer models and people went crazy for them. And I think it was a slight premium to get this, but things were built in such low numbers. You know, there's cars out there there's maybe only one off in that color. And you sort of look back or you look forward and think, what's that going to be worth, you know, in so long or trying to buy it? Like, if you want that, you're going to have to track down one car and pray that it wasn't written off.
2: Was it his own car? He's Montana green?
1: No, his his own car is Great Falls green. But it, he was saying that it reminded him of the Mark II color. Yeah,
2: that's what it was. Sorry, I was just, it was just like yeah, definite Volkswagen enthusiast there when he starts <laughs> <laughs> talking about that color.
1: Exactly. Yeah, and yeah, because it's kind of an obscure color that your average person isn't really going to get or have a massive interest in. He was saying about it as well, there's like a pink kind of decal, pinstriped on it, which again is a throwback to the, kind of the Mark II decals you we were getting in the mid-80s. He's
2: a cool guy. Really, really interesting to listen to, definitely. Big thanks for him to
0: get involved.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was awesome. And just to finish that up then, Nigel, you put up on the Instagram page then, just asking people what their general feelings were about Volkswagen UK's kind of engagement with local enthusiasts and what they felt that, you know, Volkswagen were doing for us, and I think there's a lot of...
2: Uh, Consensus of
1: yeah.
0: agreement. <laughs> well, I think m- most of the responses were, do they do anything?
1: Yeah, there was a lot of that. There wasn't, you know, I think what happens here more is uh, is the local guys jump on board as in local dealerships.
2: Every year Dub Dubshed, we're lucky to have VW Phillips on board. Yep. They help us at Dubshed, but V- VW um, UK, they're,
1: they're just not interested. to VW UK tie in with Europe, as in you know, everything's focused towards Weathersea. You know, I'm not sure in that regard, but there's
2: not a whole lot going on there. I just don't think it's on their radar at all. I, that's what it, it boils down to. Yeah, I think that's what the problem. Is
0: I think it's the same in Ireland too. Some of the Irish shows get support from, again, like their local, you know, Volkswagen and Cork or Blackwater Motors, you know, again, but it's, it's on a local level. It's not VW corporate, if you like.
1: And it's great to have those guys, but it's just, it's not the same.
0: Maybe it's different. Maybe your average person on the street sees a dealer involved with the show and thinks that that is Volkswagen. So maybe that's they enough. Have,
1: yeah. Maybe they're happy enough to let them work away in that regard. You know, it's and like
0: getting, don't get me wrong, the dealers that do get involved are all superb. Yeah. Phillips are great. And give yeah. you know yeah, prizes okay. and sponsorship and so on and, and it's it's great to have those. We're certainly not complaining about that. Oh no, definitely not.
2: You have to ask the question, where is VW? You know, corporate. Yeah. Like I used to go to VW International, I think it went out in two thousand and two. Volkswagen was there in force. That's the biggest Volkswagen enthusiast show in the UK in the early 2000s, and they were there. Now, the show died a death, and I don't know what happened. I think it was more the sort of, I don't want to say stance shows, but the shows sort of split up and went into different sort of sectors, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. The Volkswagen just sort of go, hmm, this maybe isn't for us, and yeah, targeted so elsewhere.
1: Too much to keep up with, there's too much going on.
2: Oh, maybe get maybe get somebody on from VW UK someday.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fight their case.
0: It um, might be different here too as well. I don't know if any of the English shows look for support. We're probably less likely to get it because of our location. Yeah,
1: hey, to travel across. I yeah.
0: I also the,
2: think Volkswagen are more interested in the corporate sales these days.
1: Yeah, and you'll probably find that most fleet, sorry. Yeah, because most of the manufacturers I imagine are going to go that way eventually. This whole talk of like you know, is it like Uber for cars? Where you, you,
0: mobility uh, providers? Yeah,
1: mobility providers, that's what I'm looking for. Or you can like rent a car, so you go online, book a car, and you essentially pick it up and use it as you want, and then drop it off again, which I think is more nice. city-based. But, you know, that's not going to happen here for us in the sticks. In big cities and like London things like that, it's probably more viable. When you think of London,
2: like how many people is there? 11, 12 million people live in London? Yeah, and not much parking. It's inevitable that a car will be defunct in that area.
0: It's a big deal to us because it's such a big part of our life, obviously. But if you probably look at Volkswagen or or any car manufacturer's overall sales, they're focusing on those big money, big numbers, fleet sales stuff. They're not looking at the guy who's coming in and buying a Golf R as a one-off. You know, that's not a big part of their market at the minute. Now, it might shift more.
1: But then Volkswagen of America are. Yeah. I think with Sean alluded to was that it's about getting out there speaking to people being approachable and getting them into the cars because like you get into that volkswagen jetta gli and the tour the The atlas Atlas, yeah that's been stuck in our heads for what six or eight months
0: but maybe because volkswagen is not such an established brand in the states because they have all their own general motors ford they're all big american brands as an import so volkswagen's more of an outsider so they're trying to do that by word of mouth and kind of getting it out there more. Now, don't get me wrong. Obviously, it's still a huge brand. But in the UK and Europe, Volkswagen are kind of already there. So mm-hmm. they don't need to push that as much. I don't know. I'm just, I'm speculating, obviously. You
2: think a rest in the, the laurels in the UK? Do you?
0: Well, because people are are still going to buy them because they already know and like them. I don't know. I, I, I could be totally wrong, but maybe that's what it is. But Who the, knows? the lower
2: way, of looking at it is, getting through ass involved young. And they'll buy cars for the rest of their
1: lives. Yeah. Look at yourself.
0: Yeah, yeah, and their kids will buy I'm a, them. I'm a slave. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's good, though. It's fun. <laughs> so we'll move on then to our questions from our listeners. We have a few in here we'll get through. To start then, we have that underscore bagged underscore VRS. He says, if you had a choice of bagging a car or going static, which one would you choose and why?
0: Depends on the car. Yeah,
2: that's I was about to say. It depends on the car and what you're using it for. Whatever fits your needs. I bag macrato because I want to be practical for getting on boats, getting off boats, not completely something that everywhere I go.
1: That was one of the big advan- well, one of the big pushes for me towards our ride in the Mark Three. We went to Edition 38. It was the year that you and Andy flew over and met us, Nigel. Yeah. yeah. And we were on a sort of, not a really bad country road, but like a kind of fast A road, maybe a B road. We are pushing maybe 50, 60 mile an hour through a few twisties. I was on coilovers running really low and come around the corner two sunken manholes dropped the front wheels into it and just smashed the underside of the car and i think i just rebuilt like i'd done a total refresh and every chassis component on it and i was like oh i've wrecked this thing and thankfully it didn't when i got it back but it was just the parts that i needed i was like i'm going to ride this thing's just i'm going to destroy it yeah
0: but yeah, it depends on the car. I mean, if you're running like a VR6 and those type of engines that have a real deep sump or sit very, very low or heavy front end, you probably do need it for the practicality. But there's other cars you can get away with. If you're just running around, you know, you don't necessarily need the expense of air or the hassle that comes with it sometimes. Yeah. If you just want it to look good, handle pretty well. I've never had a car with air. I I'll, I'll should preface this by saying so... But I can certainly see the practicalities of it. But to me, decent coilovers, you know, nine times out of ten, they're not that bad.
1: I will say my car doesn't sit much lower on air than it did on coilovers. That wasn't what it was about for me. As Nigel says, it was practicality was my main reason. Yeah. That wee bit more, like the fact that you can tune the stance a wee bit more on air was just an added benefit of it.
0: I like hydros anyway.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> 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 oh, it's. Got a digger spares in the car. will do
1: well. <laughs> yes. Spread with oil on a hose burst. <laughs> oh dear. So yeah. So old
2: boys'
1: engine. Yeah, that's it. Ronan underscore hits twenty one. Thinking of starting an OnlyFans to pay for this rebuild.
0: Yeah, oh, did it. you see some of those pictures? Yeah. Oh um, dear.
1: I think we talked the last episode about he had a few knocking problems. His engine was like a Jehovah's Witness, so he knows you're hiding at home. <laughs> and. <laughs> <laughs> I oh I don't envy him.
2: Yeah, if things went bang bang downstairs. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a horror show. So yeah, if he have, if he doesn't only fans, I'll donate. He'll have to forge the engine then. Really, I think or? I don't
1: know what way he's going to go about it. No one, no one, running. He'll not mess around with
2: it. That's scary money for Vosner Pistons for that one. Of the M6 cylinders.
1: Yeah, it's not something I want to think about. To be fair,
0: no, but knowing yeah. him, he'll do whatever it needs. He'll yeah. not.
2: No, he he'll do it right. Yeah. So good luck, running. Sorry for your loss.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we feel you. Back, you know, <laughs> we feel you, you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: We've one in there from Andy Maxwell is AJM VW. He says, pick one: free fuel for life, free tires for life, any car that you want, or a custom workshop full of tools.
2: I would be uh, fuel and tires. Yeah, I don't use that much fuel. Same. Tires, not a big deal. It would be a fight between any car I want and a workshop, basically. And I couldn't
1: choose. I'd be straight on to workshop. I pretty much, yeah. I'm sad in the fact that my Mark 3s are enough that I want to own. And I'm going for workshop and tools.
0: Yeah, it's a tough call, but I'd probably be the same as you.
1: Simon then, S14 OCP, he says, what's the rarest part that you own? I wonder is he asking us because he wants to come around and rob us.
0: <laughs> Hopefully not.
1: I don't own anything. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Make,
0: is he making a list up or what?
1: I hope he isn't. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Nigel? What do you? Own?
2: Um, rare parts. Maybe the Recaro interior and the Corrado or the edition one itself.
1: Yeah, true. Um, the...
2: I've no diamond up of a good parts, really. Do I also?
1: No, I I've stuff that's rare, as in like, well, you you can buy it, but it's just expensive. The main one for me is the audience front lip for the Mark III. I don't know if you know about it, Nigel, but it's a. Uh, Yachting was a spec on the Italian Gulf estates for one year. I think it was. So like, yeah, kind of, I've heard a bit about. It. Yeah. yeah, different grill, different splitter. Um, I think that a few boot parts were different. Like a like the number plates around on the boot lid and things like that. And then the badge and obviously too. I don't care about any of except for the splitter. And I looked at them for years and years, and I finally seen one for sale. Stupidly, they're, they're only going one price, and I was like, no, nah, I'm just gonna have to bite the bullet and get it now.
2: Does that not drive fear into your heart every time you go near a speed bump?
1: It will, yeah. Or the fact that you park <laughs> your car up and someone's going to rip it off. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Another one then from me says, Are you excited for silent season?
2: Oh, sir.
0: sir oh, yeah. Indeed. I can't wait to be I stuck behind stuck stuck a load of tractors on the road. That's my dream. <laughs>
2: yesterday, yesterday I got stuck behind the sailage fleet, yes. So they're
1: right already. Already? Ugh. We we haven't. It hasn't hit here yet, but it will. i guessing it. I would say Gethin's right, excited. <laughs> he, um, he can smell
2: the tractor seals from there. That's what I was thinking.
1: <laughs> Chris with the beard, he says, if you could have any three cars, what would they be?
2: I think I've sort of answered this before. Um, some sporty fours of some sort. RS6 event. Well, the only came in the van. So a sports car would have an A11 GT3 of some description, Manti Racing or um, Weisbach Edition. Uh, RS6. And then a five-cylinder Mark II.
1: Um, like a TTRS engine, that sort T- of thing?
2: T- TTRS engine. Um, yeah, that would be my three picks.
1: Obviously.
0: I'm going to go on the premise that I can keep my existing cars and go with my usual answer of probably a Mark IV R32. I was waiting on it. Mitsubishi Galant <laughs> <laughs> Estate. And, I don't know, what have I said before? Ferrari F40? Yeah. Black one?
1: Uh, again, I think we have answered this one before, but I'm not mad into, like, supercars or things like that. I more than likely would pick something like an F40, because they're just kind of a bit batshit crazy looking.
2: I was at NEC Classic last November, and there was two F40s on display. They are awesome up close in person.
1: You know there was, like, the Sultan of Brunei, and he gets them, and he, like, just tears them apart and resprays them, daft colours?
2: I remember watching a video with this, actually. Yeah,
1: th- that would be me. I'd be the Sultan of Northern Ireland. I would be, <laughs> I'd be I'd getting the F-40s, tearing them apart, DIY respray, and kicking them back together and hounding it off the internet.
0: An army when green Raph F-40 he- would be awesome. When when is, he- one? is there?
2: Where- there is. When Raf hears us here, I hope he's good at Photoshop so we can Photoshop Connor and the Sultan's
1: outfit. <laughs> <laughs> I'll dress up. I'm happy enough if it gets me that. Um, I've just
0: had a thought about my fleet. I think I might need a pickup.
1: I like something like or that.
0: You need an Atlas. You need an, Atlas, I an, Atlas. You need an Atlas. Can I get an Atlas pickup?
1: <laughs> Cut the back over. Yeah. you I... in case you mess one up.
2: <laughs> on the back of that there, can you import an Atlas in the
1: UK? You can import anything you want, believe it or not. The only problem is if you... Uh, someone will correct me on this, but I think if, if it is over 6,000 miles on it, it's classed as second hand. Anything under that, it need, it, you'll be paying uh, like the import duty and VAT things like that. On it. But, yeah... Um, We have a friend and fellow listener who sells uh, American spec cars in Germany on army bases, and it has been very tempting to message him and be like, can you get us this? And (laughs) The fact that it's left-hand drive would not bother me in the slightest. And then I kind of look at the price of things, and I'm like, oh my god, that's just colossal. Yeah, Yeah. but I'd love something like that. Something like the F40, I'd really like a Mark I Sirocco, and Probably a Mark 1 Polo, or as Lee says, some kind of pickup. I do like a, a pickup. And then to finish up with the questions, we have a few in here from Ian K. Ian says, how have your modifications slash car tastes evolved over the years since being a teenager to now? I'll answer that one first. Mine have changed greatly. I kind of get into cars when, if you listen back to, I think it was episode 5, we had the Max Power guys on. No, 7, I think it was. Doesn't matter. Um, I think it was 7. seven. Yeah. I grew up looking at things with like Jap stuff, body kits, you know, fiberglass, plastic, fantastic. I was really into it. And a big part of that for me, I still like because you kind of look back and it's I like the custom things, you know, because there's a bit of imagination and creativity with it. But as soon as I had Volkswagen's at 18, that was it for me. And it just hasn't really looked back. I tend to do my own thing with cars, much to Lee's disgust usually because we don't agree on <laughs> a lot of things. No, between I'm afraid cars. not. I mean, it's definitely more kind of like detail oriented for me than kind of in your face. The what it used to be.
0: Yeah, because your car is so neutral and subdued at the moment. It's fucking <laughs> lime green with bright gold and polished wheels. It's super subdued, Connor. It's very uh, mellow. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, well, you
2: need, you need some aloe vera cream, Connor. You just got burned. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 you know
1: what? I can't even respond. That's just right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm just going to ignore Lee. What about you, Nigel?
2: <laughs> I don't think the tastes have changed that much. Back when I was learning to drive in 1842... Um, the horse and cart? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was the Max Power days. I, I learned to drive in a Mark One Fiesta, but I, I was always a Volkswagen fanboy. i seen all the... It was back then, all the big... Courses with the body kits, the Fast and Furious body kits. Listen, some of them I thought were terrible. Other, it wasn't that I didn't hate them? It was just they weren't for me. I appreciated what people were doing, and I appreciated if everybody was the same with a foreign world. But I've sort of always been OEM plus, you know, a little bit of detail here and there. Yeah, but I don't think it's changed that much. Like
1: uh, you were saying about the Max part is you were kind of probably in more before the massive body kit stage. would have written and saying.
2: Yeah, I just came into it basically. I was learning to drive in '96. Yeah, the,
1: I think the Fast and the Furious would have kicked off the big kind of extreme kits and that side of it.
2: Yeah, that it which was would the end be of the, end of the nineties, I think. that yeah. started to come in. But I, it was all about tuning when I first got my test. Yeah. Um, the biggest thing back then was if you <laughs> if you had 15 inch or 16 inch wheels in your car, you were some boy. That's it. <laughs> I'm not even joking. Like you I know, know I BMW Stealth. PSW stealth and fifteen 15s for a big deal.
1: Yeah, I remember a Mark One Focus with 19s on it was like a cover car, and now you have 19s on Lee's factory Volkswagen Scirocco.
0: Cars were a lot yeah. smaller then too.
1: Yeah, true. It's harder to fit 19s on something that's a physically smaller frame. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Lee? Have you change much? Hang I on.
0: don't think so. I mean, my first love and Novus is always going <laughs> to be the Novus. So. I like
2: what
0: I like and I like what I like. Yeah, (laughs) funny enough, that's exactly what I was going to say. I still have elements of I like a bit of this, like a bit of that, don't like that. But I like something that's kind of similar and I don't have a particular style or a particular anything. So I've always been a bit piecemeal with my tastes, you know, including in music and other things outside of cars as well. I just like a little bit of everything. Variety is spice of life. (laughs)
1: I used to rally novas when I was younger. So now you know why Lee's with me.
0: Yeah, that was pretty much it.
2: <laughs> she she seen you on the nova and, the went. Together and went. Chee I need a man. Give me some of that man
1: cake. Fifty five roaring horses. <laughs> one stallion behind the wheel. <laughs> 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 that
2: sounds like an intro to Nicholas Cage film. That's
1: it. <laughs> I could be the new Nick Cage. Um. Yeah. So that's just finished up with the questions, folks. Thanks very much again.
0: Uh yes, thanks everybody for the questions, as always. I think we'll leave it there for today. Hope you enjoyed the interview. We Nigel and I certainly did. Obviously Connor was the one who did it. And thanks again to Sean for his time. As always, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Reload Podcast. My Instagram handle is at Maxwell House46.
1: I'm at Connor McCann.
2: And I'm at V Dubboy.
0: Cheers again for listening, guys. Talk to you soon.
1: And just on that note, subscribe wherever you listen to us. Like it, share it, put it out there and if you like the podcast, others will too, so just share it around.
2: And yeah. um, if you don't like it, don't tell anybody. It's tell them.
1: secret. You probably maybe you have bad taste. Tell them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much for listening. Goodbye.
2: Bye. Right. Take it easy. And don't forget we're doing the lockdown logs. Tune in for the on Instagram. Every so often we'll do one for about track Take it easy, guys. Bye. <laughs>